Morning, everyone. My name is Paul Buckley, a lead pastor here. My privilege on most Sundays to bring God's word. It's part of our worship time. We are uh, in the season of Advent, and so we're going to take time to uh, preach from God's word on the Advent themes. We'll walk through the different themes over the next four weeks in preparation for Christmas. Uh, we'll start a series in Genesis and started in January. Looking forward to that. But this is the first week of Advent, and the theme for this first week is hope. So I want to talk about hope today. And uh, on the title slide there, that is a picture by Rembrandt uh, on the subject matter for today, which we'll get into shortly. Uh, it's actually Anna and Simeon and the baby Jesus and his parents. So hope is the theme. Hope is an expectation of receiving something you desire. That's what hope is. It's a fitting Advent theme because Advent is a word that means arrival. And Advent is a celebration and a remembrance of waiting for the first arrival of Jesus, as well as thinking about the second arrival of Jesus. So we live between the two arrivals work on the sound as we go. Um, the two arrivals, the first arrival and the second arrival. In some ways we put our, 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 shoe, our feet in the shoes of those who are waiting for the first arrival, but also we reflect on what it is to wait for his second arrival. Um, it's, it's an important thing for us to do. I think it helps us kind of to think about the, the wonder of God taking on flesh, living among us, and all that it means. And this theme of hope is an important aspect of, of this. Hope is such an important part of Advent and such an important part of life. Hope is necessary for life. Let me tell you that up front. And we'll dig into it more. Hope is necessary for life. To live in this world is to live in a broken mixed-up world to watch wars and devastations, catastrophes and genocide, political division and pandemics. To live in this world is to suffer harm and face grave failure at times, to watch people you love get sick and suffer, to struggle through estrangement and loss of loved ones, to have some dreams fulfilled and some dreams dashed. Sometimes at our own hands, sometimes through no fault of our own. The reality is to live in this world, no matter how optimistic you might like to be, there are many reasons to grieve and lament in this world. I think about this too as I grow older. I think about my friends, my peers uh, who grew up with me around my age. It seems that it was yesterday when we were eager and excited, hopeful 20-somethings, full of self-confidence, ready to fix the world's problems. And now, almost 40 years later, I believe we are much more sober. Some of my friends have died. Many have gone through tragedies, broken marriages, failed careers, sickness, suffering, estrangement, and death. We have been forced through the grind of this world, and we're different as a result. The reality for us, if we're honest, is life is hard and full of pain. Yes, there's lots of good. Yes, it is God's world 
but it is a fallen world. And the good news of Christmas is that God has come to us as a man to enter into the sorrow and suffering, to identify with us in it, and to overcome this world. That's the good news. God deals with this reality of our brokenness and fallenness, the sorrow and suffering by entering in, taking it on Himself and overcoming this world, sin and death, for our sake. And as I get older and live through the grind of this life, this truth is more and more precious to me. I'm sure it's the same for you. Yet, the work isn't complete. The work of redemption is not complete. It's not complete in us. It's not complete in His church. We heard about that last week. And certainly not in this world. And we must therefore hope. We must therefore live by hope. Hope not a a wishful sort of hope. I hope it gets better. I hope somehow this ends. No, it's a certain hope in the reality that's guaranteed by the resurrection of Christ Himself. It's a sure and certain hope that what He began, He will complete. And in order to survive this world, we must hope. Hope is a necessity. And so it's good for us this Advent season to stop and ponder hope. And I want to do more than just ponder it in the theoretical. I want to enter into the life of two people that God has given us in Scripture, Simeon and Anna. And I want to, through their story, think about hope. Think about the truths of hope. And I, and I trust through this to, to come to a, a better understanding and a fuller hope that fuels us and helps us to be like them. So let's pray. And we'll look at God's Word from Luke chapter 2 in the lives of Simeon and Anna. Lord, we thank You for hope. We thank You for what You have done what you are doing, and what you will do. We thank you, Lord, for the power of hope. And Lord, we need to understand this better and live in it more. Help us, Lord, to grow. And as a result, to be more like you, Lord Jesus. Change us and use us as you strengthen us in hope, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Luke chapter 2, verse 22 and following. It says, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, speaking of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what it is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes 
have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel, of Jerusalem. God's word from Luke chapter 2. I want to walk through this story and learn about hope. This story is a wonderful story. The, the main point, just so you know, up front of this story is not so much to highlight hope. The main point of this story is to see that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises. And to put our hope in Jesus, like Simeon and Anna, that's the main point here. But there's a side point that's important. It's an illustration of, of hope in the lives of Simeon and Anna, and that's what I want to focus on today, looking at, at their lives and learning about hope. So just to review the story, they're, they're bringing Jesus to the temple after his birth. It was customary for the firstborn to offer a sacrifice. And so they come to offer a sacrifice of purification and offer Jesus to the Lord as the firstborn. They come into the temple compound, fairly large compound. They encounter this man named Simeon who's there. Simeon is described as a righteous and devout man. These are are strong, positive words about Simeon. He's a sincere man of faith, devoted to the Lord. He's a man with a heart for God and devoted to loving God and faithfully serving God and others as an observant Jew. He's also waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's an important statement. We'll talk about that some more shortly waiting for the consolation of Israel. The ultimate consolation of Israel is the promise of God to come and to right all wrongs, to rescue His people and set up an everlasting kingdom under His King, the Anointed One, the Messiah. And so he's anticipating this consolation and the fulfillment of this. He's waiting. He's hoping in it. And it says that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. It had been revealed to him, he was a prophet, an Old Testament prophet really, that he would get to see the Lord's Christ before he dies. And he comes into the temple, he's actually moved by the Holy Spirit actually to come into the temple at that time. The Spirit of God had spoken to him and uh, seems told him that you're going to see him today. He's going to be coming today. And so he's moved, he, he encounters Mary and Joseph and he takes the infant boy in his arms and prophesies. The parents marvel. They receive some personal instruction from Simeon. And then they encounter another prophet, a prophetess, Anna, who similarly had lived hoping and waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. 
This is the story. This is the background. But through their lives, I think we see a powerful illustration of hope. And so I want to take time just to talk about these aspects of hope. I have a number of points. Uh, they'll be up on the screen. Don't feel like you need to write all these down. Just sit and listen, perhaps, and contemplate hope. First point is that biblical hope is based on the promises of God. It thrives on the promises of God. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. This is a specific word, actually, that is used in the Old Testament with different promises. It occurs a number of times in the Old Testament. You'll find it in places like Isaiah 40, 1-2. Isaiah is prophesying to Israel as Israel is in rebellion and going to be exiled. He's prophesying to them that there's something coming after this, that the God of hope has something in store for them. And so Isaiah says, comfort Comfort my people, says your God. That is the same word as consolation. Consolation, consolation, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, and that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins with, with his discipline on them and their rebellion. He speaks comfort, Isaiah 61. Jesus quotes from this verse and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, to bring the good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the broken heart, to, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. These promises are throughout the Old Testament. Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel, for this comfort that was promised, for, for God to make due on his promise to bring it about. To bring true comfort. Their life expectations were shaped by these promises. As good Jews, they would have saturated themselves. They probably would have memorized these promises. They lived their lives with the promises of God filling their minds and animating what they did and how they thought about things. The Bible is full of promises from God, and all the promises ultimately are yes and amen in Jesus, are ultimately about Jesus. Jesus comes to fulfill all the promises. And there's lots of promises in Scripture. And our hope thrives on these promises. You can spend a lifetime digging in to the promises of God that are there, and I would submit to you, they all have to do with Jesus. And they're captured really by the very uh, names of Jesus in Scripture. So let me run through just quickly some of these names of Jesus that all point to a promise of Jesus. <clears throat> Again, don't try to write this all down. <laughs> he is the second Adam. He is our advocate. He is the Almighty. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the Amen. He is our atoning sacrifice. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the author of eternal salvation. He is the beloved Son. He is the blessed and only ruler. He is the bread of life. He is the captain of salvation. He is the chief shepherd, the Christ of God, the consolation of Israel, the cornerstone, the counselor, the creator, dayspring, deliverer, desire of the nations, the door for the sheep. He is everlasting father, faithful witness, first and last, first begotten, glory of the Lord, God himself, good, the good shepherd, the great high priest. 
He is head of the church, the heir of all things. He is the holy child. He is the holy one of God, the holy one of Israel. He is the horn of salvation. He is the I am. He is the image of God. He is Emmanuel, the true Israel, the just one, the king of kings, the king of saints, the lawgiver, the lamb of God, the life, the light of the world, the line of the tribe of Judah, the Lord of all, the Lord of glory, the Lord of lords. Lord, our righteousness, the man of sorrows, the mediator, the Messiah, the mighty God, the mighty one, the morning star, the second Moses, the only begotten son, our Passover, the prince of life, the prince of peace, the prophet, the redeemer, resurrection and life, the rock, the root of David, the rose of Sharon, our savior, the seed of woman, the shepherd and overseer of our souls, the son of David, the son of God, the son of righteousness, true light, true vine, truth, word, the word of God. His name is Jesus, and that's only a partial list. That points to all the promises of God. Yes and amen in Jesus. The point in Simeon and Anna's life is they saturated themselves with these promises. Their example calls us to do the same. Brothers and sisters, hope is necessary for you and for life. And hope thrives on the promises of God. You want your hope to be strengthened, then Saturate yourself with these promises, these truths about Jesus. Read every good book you can about who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he will do. Read your Bible first and foremost, but good books that point and help you understand the scriptures. There are so many. There are so many good ones. We'll never stop learning. And I just encourage you to be a reader and saturate yourself with these promises. Let them create hope in your life. Let these promises fuel your hope. Simeon and Anna are also fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. Certainly it is important for us to saturate ourselves with the promises, with the Word of God, the truths about Christ, what He's done, who He is, what He will do. But we need power from the Spirit of God. And so in the story we see that, don't we? Their lives are fueled by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Simeon Two places it says the Holy Spirit had told him, had spoken to him. Now he's a prophet. He's an Old Testament prophet. He experiences a, an unusual uh, aspect of the Spirit's ministry. The Spirit of God is speaking to him in a, an authoritative, clear way. He's saying that you will not die before you see the Lord's Christ. And then he's spoken to again by the Spirit, saying today is the day you're going to encounter Jesus. So he was led into the temple. Anna, we, we don't see explicit mention of this, but she is a prophetess. She's there. She's fasting and praying and serving the Lord. She is hearing God. She's a prophetess. She's experiencing the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They are experiencing it in unique ways. They are Old Testament prophets. But we have the promise, the truth of Acts chapter 2, Joel chapter 2, that every believer in the New Testament experiences the baptism of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit. The Spirit of God ministered to all of us. Now, maybe not in such an in, in unusual way as Simeon experienced, but in significant ways, powerful ways. And the Spirit of God wants to take the Word of God as we saturate ourselves with the Word of God and, and work in power to bring that to our minds and hearts and our lives in a significant way. We need the Holy Spirit. Hope is fueled by the power of the Spirit. Paul says at the end of Romans, Romans 15, 13, exactly what I'm saying here. He says, may the God of hope fill you 
with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This past week, we set up our Christmas tree. We do that every year right around this time. And it's always lots of fun to do that, to do that as a family. And now with grandkids, part of that, it's especially exciting. Um, I enjoy watching the young ones do, set the tree up, and put the decorations on more than anything. And when you're done, it's very pretty. There's all these ornaments on it. But it's really when the lights come on that the tree comes alive. You can have all the decorations. You can have a beautiful tree. But it's when the lights come on and light up that tree that it, it is a thing to enjoy and wonder at. And that's a picture of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He wants to come and, and light us up with His presence and power. That the promises of God would more, be more than just something that we hang on the tree, so to speak, but something that's illumined by the Spirit of God and empowers our life. So this Christmas, let us ask the Holy Spirit, God, the Spirit, to grant us power to abound in hope. Now, the next point I want to emphasize is that hope, this hope, gives strength for life. This hope gives strength for life. We know that they had strength, Simeon and Anna had strength for life because they were old and yet were faithful. That is quite an accomplishment, by the way. And the older I get, the more respect I have for old people who are faithful. It's easy to be excited about your faith and optimistic about the future when you're young and you're, with all due respect, naive. Some of you might, and some of you are actually, way wiser than I was at your age. But I know how naive I was. And it was easy to be optimistic, and it was easy to be excited about Jesus when I was young. But to remain hopeful and encouraging and sweet and kind and patient and joyful after a long life, it's quite an accomplishment. It's no wonder we have words like old fogey and curmudgeon. These are words for old people that get cranky and grumpy. Recognize that it just comes with living. Life is hard. And as you go on, it the, the accumulation of the difficulties of the years and, and, you, and the decline of your body, all these things that go on can make it really hard. And, and it's an accomplishment to be the age that Simeon and Anna are and full of faith and, a, and joy and hope. Hope was working in their lives in a powerful way because they were old yet faithful. Simeon experienced strength and hope to continue. He had a reason to get up every morning. He was looking forward to the consolation of Israel. The Lord had told him, I'm gonna, you're going to get to see this before you die. He, he was living in that hope. He was living in the ultimate hope that this consolation is going to happen. 
that the promises are going to come true. And so he continued to serve the Lord. Anna, it's amazing, Anna lost her husband probably in her early 20s. They would get married around 14 back then, so seven years with her husband, and he dies. That alone is a, is a great tragedy. And yet she has strength for 60 years plus to continue to serve the Lord night and day and worship, trusting in the Lord, looking forward for the redemption of Jerusalem. What sort of hope functions to motivate a young woman to keep going strong like this after losing her husband and still doing it again and again, day after day, year after year? Only hope can fuel such a life. Hope is what you need to keep you going, to keep you softened in your heart, to keep you faithful, to keep you experiencing peace and joy through the hardships of life. It gives us strength to live in. Now related to this is that this hope was learned through suffering. It's learned through suffering. It isn't just something that happens with, with time automatically. The school for, for growing in hope is the school of suffering. And Simeon and Anna would have understood this reality that this world is full of trouble and disappointment. This, this world, this, this school has a lot of things around us that, that lead to suffering. We went through Ecclesiastes a little while ago as a church talks much about this. Chapter 2, verse 22 says, What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 22 to 23. Vanity. Things are a vapor. Things fall apart. Life is hard. Vanity, vanity, or vapor, vapor, Ecclesiastes says. Romans 8 speaks of this as well, the futility of this world. Anna had lost her husband after seven short years of marriage. Simeon had been through a lot. He's an old prophet at this point. We don't know how old he is, but he's pretty old, near the end of his life. Maybe he's 70, 80, maybe even 90 or older. And if you review the history of, of Israel at that time, you realize that Simeon had lived through a lot of tragedy. In his lifetime, actually, Israel had lost their sovereignty as a nation. The Romans had come in, and, and, and in the name of helping in a dispute, they had taken over. These Romans who blasphemed their God and brutalized their people. He would have been around when General Pompey besieged Jerusalem actually entered the Holy of Holies, the very inner part of the temple, with, with, as a Roman with, with uh, in the intent of blaspheming the, the God of Israel. Entered the Holy of Holies, killing over 12,000 people who were defending the temple area. He was alive when Governor Crassus robbed the temple of probably all that it had, probably billions of dollars of gold. He had recently wit witnessed General Varus crucify 2,000 people. And he had been part of the recent census, right? That The census that moved Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. We read that in the story and we realize that that was God's sovereignty. 
moving them to Bethlehem to fulfill promises, but there was a human side, the Roman side of that census. That census was meant so that they could tax everybody, and they could find out who wasn't paying their taxes. And the policy of the Romans for those that weren't Roman citizens and didn't pay their taxes was death. Not only death of the head of the household, but the whole household. They would destroy the home and kill everybody. This is what Simeon had lived under. A whole life under a great disappointment. It certainly didn't look like the promises were happening during his lifetime. But he understood. He understood God's ways of trust in all this. He would have understood that this is nothing unusual for the people of God. We are told in Scripture to expect these things. Again and again, we see them in Scripture. We love Romans 8. We went through Romans 8 recently. It's full of so many wonderful promises. But if you read Romans 8 carefully, you'll notice, actually, that it also promises futility and suffering and hardship. And those promises, the wonderful promises of, of the love of God, of God using all things for our good, of God never letting go of us, are all given in the midst of suffering. Just a sampling, Romans 8, 35 and following. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul clarifies this connection, this reality of suffering, but the connection to how it increases our hope in 2 Corinthians. One of my favorite sections of scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 8 through 10. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burden beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. God's design in suffering for the believer is to serve as a powerful antidote for finding our refuge and our life in this broken world. This world is full of God, good. God is at work, but it's also full of evil and it's broken. And we need to be rescued from seeking in the creation itself to find what can only be found ultimately in the creator. And this world, at best, is merely a foreshadowing of the real world that awaits us. You cannot have heaven here. You will not have heaven here. As good as it gets at times, you will never have heaven here. Heaven is only in the future. The new creation is only in the future. And suffering in this world cures us of this notion and brings clarity to the power and the necessity of hope. It forces us to set our sights on what God has for us, 
the sure and certain hope guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus. He is reigning and he will return and he will finish and he will usher in the new age and the new creation. And that's what we are to live for. And the best that we have here is only, as I said, a foreshadowing of what awaits us. You will always be disappointed here. And suffering helps us remember that. C.S. Lewis aptly said, I, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I've been with a number of believers in their final days. I know about other believers in their death experiences as well, and I want to tell you, as I remember and think about these precious saints, none of them were focused during that time on the little things of life. None of them were saying, I wish I had finished the bucket list. Nothing wrong with the bucket list. But none of them were talking about that. None of them actually were even focused much on their pain. For some of them, the pain was great. They all had a very clear what was most important and what was eternal. They set their hope amidst the suffering and the sickness by Christ. And it's an honor to be with saints at those moments. And I would submit they probably had the strongest sense of hope in the eternal at those moments than they had ever had in their lives because suffering has that clarifying ability to bring things into focus, to remind us of what matters most. Hope is learned through suffering. Don't despise suffering. Know that God has in it good. He wants to strengthen you in hope. He wants to give you something that overcomes this world. He wants to build hope in you and give you the ability in that to find your life and to endure. That's what Anna and Simeon had through their suffering. When the time comes, hope gives us peace in death. Simeon held the object of his hope in his arms it was only a baby, though, a little baby. There was a lot more that had to happen. Jesus had to grow up. He had to resist Satan. He had to believe and obey his heavenly Father. He had to teach and do miracles and live a perfect life. He had to go to the cross, bear our sins, die in our place. He had to rise again on the third day. He had to ascend to the heavens. He had to rule from the right hand of God in the heavens over the millennia as he accomplished the, the promises Build the Great Commission. He's still doing that. He had to return and judge the living and the dead and set up his eternal kingdom. He had lots to do. All Simeon had in his hands was a baby. But hope looks beyond the small beginnings to the fulfillment and grants the ability to rest even though it's incomplete. Ah, that's so important. It's so important for us to understand 
Hope gives us the ability to know, even though it's not complete, even though my life isn't quite what I thought it might be, even though I don't see the promises fulfilled in my lifetime, I trust in God. I can look forward in faith and trust the Lord and experience peace in death. And so Simeon said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He could face death with peace. I know of a family member whose dying words were, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He went to God's presence with joy and peace and gratitude. Contrast that with the words of those without hope. The famous playwright and author William Soroyan said, everybody has got to die, but I have always believed an exception would be made in my case. What now? Stephen Hawking I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Contrast that with the power of hope in life and in death to grant peace that we can say with Simeon, you are letting your servant depart in peace. I have seen your salvation. You will fulfill what you have promised. Hope grants us peace in facing death. We overcome the world in this way. And finally, we hope as we wait for what we only see in part related to the last point. Again, they only saw a baby, but hope looks past the small beginnings it's forward-looking in faith. It trusts in the things that are not yet fulfilled. Hebrews 11, 1 and 6 teach us about hope. Now, hope is really forward-looking faith. Gratitude, actually, is rearward-looking faith. We look back in faith. We are grateful. We look forward in faith, and we are hopeful. So Hebrews 11, 1 and 6 is now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then verse 6, and without faith... It's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is believing that God exists and that he rewards. It's, it's putting our trust in God who is, who is the ultimate reality. And this is a God who not only is the ultimate reality, but he's a God who interacts with us. He rewards us. As we look to him, he answers. He has answered. He will answer. He is faithful. Ultimately, our hope is in God himself and God's character. God is faithful. He will never stop being faithful. He will fulfill his promises. God is good and faithful. He will complete what he started. He has made that clear in the sending of his own son for us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously grant us all that we need? He's given us his only son already. Christ has come, Christ has died in our place on the cross for our sins, that we might be forgiven for our sins against God and one another. Christ has risen from the dead. 
Christ has ascended and he's reigning and he will return. And we wait, trusting in God who is faithful. His credit is good and faithful. We, we regularly put our faith in lots of institutions for their credit to be good, right? Banks. You don't stay up at night worrying. Is your bank going to default? We buy bonds. We trust uh, different organizations to be faithful to their bonds. How much more is our God faithful? If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said it and he will not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? Numbers 23 teaches us. So this Christmas, let us follow Simeon and Anna in hope. Let us put our hope in God, the faithful one who fulfills his promises. Let us understand that hope is necessary. Hope must function in our lives. And I would submit that for all of us to some degree, this is perhaps a, a quality that isn't functioning at the level it ought to. I think as Americans, because we experience so much prosperity, we don't feel the necessity of hope. But learn to, to strengthen your hope. Learn to live in these things because you're going to need it. As you grow older, you're going to need it as you face life. And God has much blessing for you in hope. Hope that's grounded on the promises of God. Hope that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Hope that strengthens us for life. Hope that is learned through suffering. Hope that gives us peace in death. Hope that's content with only seeing in part, knowing it will soon be whole. Let me leave you with Paul's benediction. Romans 15 that I read earlier. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God bless and strengthen you with hope this Christmas season.